of two eyes, huh? Do you understand the game a bit? Yeah, have a look. I'm not saying anything to you in particular because I know you're not too accurate with your reporting. That, that's what okay, you're paid so you're for. Saying it. I should resign. So you're saying I should resign. I think that's you should, your opinion. Yeah. Is that right? That's my opinion. Fine. Are you going to resign then? No, of course I'm not going to resign. I simplify things next time. <laughs> It is a hot, sultry, sweaty day in Sydney. Nick Stoll has put on a shirt just in time for air. Stoll, welcome to TNC. Where is your wet bulb temperature at at the moment? Look, I will tell you that many of my bulbs are sweating right now. Uh, There's a lot of... uh, It's a hot day here in Sydney. Sydney, it's a beautiful day. It's a clear day, but it's a kind of day that you want to be at the beach. But, you know, I sacrifice... I come to make sure that, you know, the Australian football public gets its, you know, serving of TNC. Uh, And it's great to be back here with you, Josh and Joey, uh, in what is a very hot day here in Sydney. Yes, Joey Lynch, um, you know, even his cat is making a concerted effort to uh, stop his answers for going on too long. I'm plugging his microphone several times in the (laughs) pre-show. Joey, is Soot your worst critic? Possibly distinct hatred for shoelaces um, and now, as it turns out, microphone cords. So if I suddenly go mute, distinct possibility that Nick Stoll has muted me, but it also could be that Soot, the people's cat, has unplugged me and I have to fix that issue. (laughs) All right, let's get into it. The game we just watched, uh, Western Sydney Wanderers won, Western United nil. Stoll, you got the correct score in in the group chat. (laughs) Uh, mm. before the game, well before the game even started. I think you picked it yesterday. Uh, t- talk us through your, your observations of, of that one. Well, look, uh, I'll just say what I did say in the chat was, you know, we should talk when we talk about what we're going to put on the show and we're going to talk about lots of things. We're going to talk about Arnie, second division, you know, everything that's happening in the A-League, um, Matildas, MPL, if we can get to it. We're going to talk about all of that. But I did say that we should start with, obviously, the game that was on this afternoon, uh, the game that finished the round. Uh, Western Sydney won, uh, Western United nil. And I did say that it would be 1-0. We could already just check that off. We could already make the banner to say that it was going to be 1-0. And I would say it'd be a boring game. And I was just right on all accounts. But I must say, one of the reasons that it was a boring game was because it was so hot here in Sydney. And these 3 p.m. kickoffs have to go. They, like These 3 p.m. summer kickoffs have to go. Men's, women's, whatever. You know, it's just, it's always too hot. It's too hot. And you say it's our family-friendly times. Bullshit. No family wants to be out in the sun when it's that hot. But the kids will complain. The parents will complain. They, look, put them at 7 p.m. That's This is when the game should be. It's better to sit at home and watch on the couch. It's better to be at the stadium. It's better for the players. You're going to get better quality games. I think 7 p.m. from December, January, and February, that should be like that. And then in, you know, the earlier months when we're not quite in peak summer, let's do, you know, we can, we can do some early games. Now, Wellington, it might be a bit cooler or some places it might be a bit cooler on average, but let's be honest across Australia. And by the way, we're in a La Nina next year. We're meant to go into an El Nino and it's got to be even hotter. So it's something that we need to work on um, because I'm not a fan of these hot, hot games. I don't think anyone is. It's, it's just getting ridiculous. So why do we do it? Joey, what do you make of Stoll's war on families here? Big fan, big yes, fan. Um, you know, I'm the millennial Let's take generation. Down families. I've literally become the stereotype of I got a pet instead of children because I can't afford actual children. Um, also, just play welfare as well. I mean, it's 
I, I, it's standing TNC policy, right, that we advocate just move the whole thing to winter. Like, yeah, it, it, at the, the, the end goal, we're going to have a connected pyramid. We'll play in winter. We'll play home and away, and everything will be grand. We're going to end up there eventually is the TNC policy. But, yeah, like, it, I think it also creates a better spectacle. People talk about the hub, uh, the run home in the hub when it was cooler months and the football um, you know, the players were talking about how much better it was and we've seen players tweeting about, you know, they can't do it in the heat. Uh, John Aloisi today in the post-game press conference acknowledging that he took Josh Risden off because he was suffering from heat stress. We talk about, Stoll, you talk about, and Teo's talked about as well, like the need for fun and how so many of the league's problems can be fixed by good football. The hot conditions aren't conducive to good football, ostensibly what this entire product is supposed to be. So just looking at it from that perspective, it would behoove the people in charge, acknowledging broadcasting, sponsoring, fixturing, to find a way to get these games played later in the day during these hot summer months or move it for winter. <laughs> Stoll, anything so, else okay. on this game? Yes, and this is very quickly, and this is how we've been off for a couple of weeks. And in that time, you know, people might have been thinking that I was lazing around, that I was enjoying summer, that I was at the beach. No, I was creating a new society. That is the Fake Australia Football Fun Society, M-A-F-S, Maths. Maths. You might hear a lot of, you might hear it, you know, soon you might hear like maths is really popular and talking about maths. Yes, the Make Australian Football Fund Society. That is how I will now view every single issue in Australian football. Does it make it more fun? Does it make it less fun? Hot summer kickoffs, less fun. A move to winter, more fun. Every, every answer I give today will be from the Math Society. Let me know in the comments if you want to join the Math Society. I haven't made a Twitter account, you know, like the Golden Generation did or anything like that. I haven't made it. Uh, I haven't really done much in terms of, you know, you know, the kind of tangible things, but the ideas. Oh, my goodness. They're, they're flying. They're flying. They're, so that's what today's show is going to be about from my perspective. When, when do you get Congress representation? Uh, exactly. Well, uh, I know the New South Wales state election is soon, um, but uh, we'll make a political party too. The Make Australian Football Fund Society Party, the MASP. I mean, personally, I don't enjoy watching people make a terrible decision for the wrong reasons and then spend, you know, weeks and weeks trying to, you know, desperately to justify it. But um, enough about Destination New South Wales. Uh, let's get on oh, to nah. well, Graham Arnold. <laughs> it was a bit tortured. I could have got a little long to get there. We're rusty. Okay, take I it off the rust. Um let's go to four years, six million dollars. No, that's not a mid-level exception for the Boston. Reportedly Celtics. six million dollars. That is yes, allegedly, reportedly. Uh Graham Arnold's new contract with the soccer is. Uh gentlemen, to start this off on a particularly uh, oppositionist note. Uh, I put it to you that this is not a football decision. This is a PR decision because you couldn't let Graham Arnold go after the Socceroos did us proud. I mean, you couldn't. And I just want to say it's great to have everyone commenting, uh, you know, especially YouTube, Facebook, uh, Daniel, you all criminals. Don't know what you're referring to, Daniel. Uh, don't know what you were accused of doing. Um, but it's always fun to hear from the fans. Um, 
Look, when we're I going to be in the Herald Sun tomorrow, gents. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Names and everything. Um, look, apart from uh, the crimes that we've committed, uh, look, yeah, I totally agree. There, there was a, the, this was a PR decision. They were too worried about the backlash of getting rid of the coach that had the most successful World Cup that we've ever had. Um, but I think that you know you should they should have just given him a much shorter contract if they were going to give him a contract they decided that you know he's done well and they want to continue on with him in the playing group it's because you know, give him to the asian cup because this will be his third asian cup and the last two were two big disappointments so we've had two disappointments we were also there for the whole qualifying campaign so we remember the struggles throughout that and you know four games uh two of which we lost at the world cup does not make me think here's six million dollars you genius. Um, I understand why they made that decision. I just don't agree with it. And it, it also makes me question what is Ernie Merrick's kind of role as the disruptor if we're just going to continue on with the same things that we've had in the past. Well, we're not continuing on with the same things that we've had in the past. In fact, Graham Arnold is now taking on a greater role in the uh, the national setup he is going to be serving as a mentor to australia's uh junior men's national team coaches so as to a formal mentor to tony vidmar um trevor morgan and brad maloney he is going to be ser- working with ernie merrick on pathways and talent identification and he's going to be serving as an ambassador um, for Football Australia and a number of facilities, projects and all of that sort of thing. I'm not sure if you saw it in his press conference. It was very hard to notice, but he mentioned the home of football once or twice. Um, so I'm being facetious if you haven't seen the press conference. It was like topic A, B and C. But yeah, this I, I wrote an article on ESPN, so I'm not going to go over all the same details as Stoll because we're trying to keep this short, 90 minutes. Um, but... Yeah, this decision is entirely built off the back of the World Cup. So I, I, think, I don't think you can say it's purely a PR move because there is a footballing aspect of it. The footballing aspect of it is the 270 minutes in which Australia beat Tunisia and Denmark and then, you know, pushed Argentina. That's what the decision, that's the footballing basis for this decision. Now, will it work? Well, I mean, we weren't predicting Australia to do what they did at the World Cup, but I, where's the evolution going to come from? The circumstances at the World Cup, the perfect storm. And you, you do have to look at it. I think, Stoll, you were right then. You, it's not so much now quibbling over the decision, the decision been made. Now we examine how was the decision made, decision made and what does this decision mean for Australian football? So we ostensibly, we know they didn't go talk with any other candidates. James Johnson said as much. So we know that this process has basically tied Football Australia and everybody in that current administration to Graham Arnold. If things don't go wrong, it's just, it's on all of them. They can't wash their hands of this. They had the chance to do their due diligence and look elsewhere. And it doesn't sound like they did. Um, But also to me, the biggest take a big takeaway from this is that effectively like we talk about what is Australia's identity what what are our values as a footballing nation well in the men's game with this appointment and this extended role right now it's Arnie Ball um it's Aussie like not me joking here it's Aussie DNA it's um you know, fighting and running and this effort and Arnold's style of play 
is becoming what Australian football is thank, because of this appointment. So I think that's like a notable thing. Like this appointment, uh, the extension of the role and what it all means, it carries far more connotations than just who's coaching the Socceroos until the end of the 2026 World Cup cycle. I mean, if you're going to make a decision to extend a coach's contract based on three cherry-picked games, uh, I'm going to cherry-pick three games um, to you know reflect what I've seen in his tenure. Can I, and can I guess which ones? Uh, uh, Oman this... draw, China no. draw. Yes. Oh, China draw. Yes. Uh, the UAE Japan game. Lost. Japan no. lost at home. Japan lost away, actually. Oh. Um, uh, the Saudi close. Arabia lost away. Or Peru. No, no, no. Saudi Arabia lost away. That was a dead <laughs> Look how many examples we're I know, giving. No, it's coming out of his. <laughs> There's so quite so a the few three, cherries to pick. The, the three results I was I was going to have a look at was China won, Australia won on the 17th of November 2021. Some of the worst football I've ever seen, uh, featuring the Curb Your Enthusiasm sequence that I, I tweeted out. I don't know if anyone remembers that, of the sideways remember. passing between centre-backs like total confusion about where everybody was meant to be off the ball, no one showing for it, and then just a terrible pass from Transendry directly out of play and a smash cut to Arnie on the sideline stroking his chin and <laughs> wondering what the fuck is going on. Uh, also, that game notable that you cannot make the excuse about the cattle being there or COVID mm. being there, given that A, Australia does have better cattle than the People's Republic, Republic of China, and B, China had even more onerous COVID restrictions on them than Australia did mm. during the past World Cup window. Uh, another one I was going to pick was Vietnam nil Australia won. Yes, we won that game. On the count, it was. I mean, the excuses that came out after that one. It was the pitch. It was the heat. It was this player not being available. It was that player not being available? We had six shots to Vietnam's eleven, even though we had seventy-one percent of the ball. We had no idea what to do with the football. And the last game, Japan two Australia one. Uh, on the 12th of October, 2021. This is the game that essentially made Japan's World Cup because, you know, we, we saved be Japan's coach's win. bacon. We saved Moriyasu's yeah. bacon, exactly. And Aaron Moy was deployed on the left wing. Uh, we were sensibly playing a diamond. It was completely, like, it was so confusing. Uh, Hrustic was sort of playing as a six. It, yeah, it, it, it was... Like, no, none of the Australian players really knew what the formation was, let alone, you know, the viewers watching at home. So, look, there is are plenty of examples in the world, in the world of business, in the world of sport, of recency bias mm. creeping into decision-making. I think this is one of them. Well, um, I, and yeah. how many times do you see coaches who have a little bit of success in one tournament get way too long in the national team. And Fernando Santos at Portugal is a classic example. Lucked his way. The luckiest men. People say Greece 2004. The, the Portugal 2016, the most horrendous team ever to win a, a, a tournament, lucked their way to the final. They finished third in the group, didn't yeah, they? And there, yeah, they didn't win a game in the group. They never. Anyway, I don't want to go on about Portugal 2016, but horrible team. But Fernando Santos kept getting contracts, and that Portugal kind of wasted a bit of a golden generation, to be honest. They never went, you know, more than like a semi-final after that. Um, I'll just quickly say, as the president of the Make Australian Football Fund Society, uh, the the official position is that Arnie Ball is not fun. That is the official position based on many of the examples <laughs> you just gave, Josh. So therefore, does this Make Australian Football more fun? No. 
also a point that you raised, Joey, about how they said they didn't speak to anyone. My question would be like, well, why not? Because we know, look, you might be the most Robbie Slater, Arnie is the best, you know, in the world, but we know there are better coaches than Arnie. Like, like we, we know they're out there. Like that's not, it's just whether they want to come here and whether we can get them there and how much they would cost and so on. So, hey, you know, look, I always say, let's get Bielsa in. If Bielsa wants 10 million or something, then it's probably, it's like, okay, well, I don't know if we can afford 10 million a year or whatever. But if you didn't discuss, speak to anyone that doesn't seem like you're doing your due diligence as a football federation if you could have found a better coach why would you not you know so we just we were talking before thomas tuckle was here in australia what well, you didn't want to just have a he quick... was here on holiday yeah but just say to him hey man just just uh would you like to if you want to man let's you know maybe really like to look i'm just saying yeah obviously he was here on holiday but you should still i think you should always be looking at other options because what if Arnie had decided that he wanted to take up one of the numerous offers that he had uh, from overseas? Anyway, that's I, I just before we move on, I did want to get onto one thing quickly, sort of like maybe this is me preempting any possible conversations that will arrive in future windows. Um, you talked about a golden generation stole. I'm not going to do them a disservice and say that the current generation of talent coming through for Australia is a golden generation, but it's a talented generation there's some real there's some really exciting players coming through um you know uh, alongside the ones that are already in the national team and established so i'm like that that it's now on arnold to use them as well like the argument that he doesn't have the cattle i didn't think it held all that much weight um during the last cycle and it's not going to um, hold any weight, I think, this cycle around. I think the team is going to be full of talent. Um, players coming into their primes. The Kuals are coming up. Garen Kual, Devlin, Bacchus, Sutar, Rouse, Atkinson and Karacic aren't too old. Um, Jordi Boss should Jordy Boss should go to the Asian Cup. Jordi Boss should be in the team in the March window. Um, but he's coming through at left back. Um, John Rowe, Metcalf, Devlin, these guys in the midfields. Um, it's really exciting as my partner sets off the fire alarm with her cooking. Um, but you so might, might have to mute yourself for a little yes. bit. Yes. So, and also, I'm going to say, yeah, pretty much repeat what you said about those games in the last cycle, Josh. Are we going to, like, that's there as well. That's evidence. And what evidence do we have that we're not going to get that again? especially against the likes of China and Vietnam when we're playing teams that sit back and I'm going to give the Socceroos the ball and the Socceroos are going to have to break them down. Um, I was just going to quickly say, and it's uh, really good to see Ben Smith in the comments. He says, concern with home of football. Will that centralize the Socceroos in one city for the most part in terms of games because national teams belong to everyone, not just city with most cash. My big concern with the home of football is that is there a bedroom of national team football and is there a bed in there that despite being made incredibly poorly, we have to get into and constantly sleep in there. That's that's my big concern with a home and bedroom of football. But uh, we'll see, we'll who, who says this show is too self-referential? Uh, not me. <laughs> not me. Uh, Chris says, why are you guys so dressed up? I mean, you should have seen Stoll five minutes before air. That's why. Hey, that's why you I can see saying. me right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's hot, people. It's hot. Nick Stoll says, free the nipple. Uh, let's go to uh, National Second Division. The expressions of interest are open for this new competition. Uh, for the first time, I think, Football Australia has laid out some parameters as to what... They're kind of loose. They're sort of saying uh, if, if 
everyone's cool with this. If we get enough interest, we're going to go with this. If we don't, we're going to go back to like a Champions League uh, sort of arrangement or conference arrangement. Uh, but this is the clearest indication we've seen of the format of a national second division. And you can actually apply right now. You know, if you've got a grassroots club, a state league five club, you think you can meet this criteria, it's there on the website. Let's uh, do it. Make Australian team. Fo- no, make Australian football fun FC still. 100%. What a team we would have. First signing, Ricardo Quaresma. All right. <laughs> Second signing, Max Burgess. Um, look, already, already I'm excited about it. No, uh, look, it, this is actually, you know, the official Make Australian Football Fun Society's position is a second division is fun. There's more football. The chance for promotion relegation is uh, a fun and exciting idea. Um, it is a small step, I think. You know, it, it's it's the start of a process. And and the truth is, like like we were saying before, you know, the idea is that it's all in winter and, you know, we have a full pyramid and, and it's all how it is meant to be everywhere else in the world. I think this is a step towards that. I think, you know, you do have to get these teams up to speed before you introduce pro rail straight away. Um, some of these teams, I think, will say, well, it's hard to generate the amount of money that's necessary to, you know, run these teams without the carrot of pro rail hanging there. But I do think, like, Football Federation, Football Australia has to move somewhat slowly with this. So it'll be frustrating. It'll be some teething issues. But overall, I think this is a really exciting thing. And, I would like to think that these clubs, whether they are old traditional, you know, powerhouses of the NSL, or if they're clubs that have been successful in the NPL, or if they're clubs that are kind of created, I know. I would like to think that they understand that things can't be done the way it was done in the old ways. That just because you ran a club back in the day that was, you know, that was in the NSL or whatever, you do have to update for 2023. You do have to, and that doesn't mean just update, you know in terms of money, it means updating ideas, updating thinking, updating attitude, updating kind of openness. So I'm really excited and I just hope that the clubs as well do the work that's necessary to have them in this competition and then have eventually pro relegation, which would be amazing. Well, I mean, this is what the uh, proposed competition parameters are on the Football Australia release. Um, home and away league structure with finals comprised of between 10 and 16 teams featuring between 24 to 36 games. So it's already going to have as many games as the A-League under this proposed structure, which is pretty amazing, really. Um, successful respondents to the application process would be required to depart their existing football competitions. So you can't have an MPL team going in the you know at the same time um that's ostensibly because i imagine they'll look to link the npl with this second tier through pro rel a lot yeah. quicker than they will the a leagues I, I think that was pros- possibly more viable for clubs to have like their seconds or their youths mm. in the npl if it was going to be a summer competition if it's but winter now, you can't do that now it looks like it's going to be a winter comp and that's just going to be way too difficult for anyone to do so that that, that makes sense for me um, national second tier clubs will enter into a club participation agreement setting out the terms of participation including but not limited to professional playing contracts for all players with salaries paid 52 weeks of the year you had a point th- on this didn't you Josh yes I don't think that necessarily means fully professional players and stuff. Like full Profession- time. There are two. There are two kind of distinctions here. There is professional versus semi-professional. 
which is sort of a societal distinction. And then there's professional versus amateur, which is a legal distinction. And I think this and is the legal will be using the legal, yeah. Absolutely, they will. So, so can you just explain what that means in terms of actual like, money? So an amateur contract, it has a limit on it, and it's basically just remunerating you for the costs of participating. So there are a lot of players Natural on money. amateur contracts. It's supposed to be like 300 bucks a week when you're playing or something like that. Amateur basically covers your expenses. Amateur yeah. contracts basically is that's covering it, you, nothing your else. petrol, bit of your time, whatever, <laughs> gear, equipment, that sort of stuff. Sounds so, like sounds like ASPN's got us on some amateur contracts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think ASPN would be using that particular legal definition. Um, but yeah, look. Um, but professional means that you're actually paid for you know your work on top of the costs of you undertaking that activity. So professional could be any amount of money. Uh, essentially, it's just. Um, it's just a legal distinction and it's a tax thing as well because if you're doing something as a hobby and you're being recompensed for it based on your expenses, it doesn't get taxed in the same way that a professional contract does, professional earnings. So, so I don't necessarily think that even though you're saying you're paying all year round, that doesn't necessarily mean you're employing a player all year round full time like an A-League player would be. And there are plenty of players already on professional contracts throughout it, the MPL all over the country. There, in fact, there's been, a, I can speak at least for Victoria, there's been a significant increase on the, on the number of players on pro contracts in the NPL in recent years. A certain club got caught cooking the books regarding amateur and professional. And in the aftermath of that, rather than, you know, get caught themselves, they just decided to get out, a lot of clubs decided to get out of it get ahead of things that right everyone's on a pro contract now and it also helps prevent circumstances and now with new transfer regulations being brought in at the NPL level by Football Australia they're signing place to pro contract so it's not <coughs> so it's not a case of well a bloke will go to training but all of a sudden the next day he'll pop up at a rival club and you can't do anything about it because he was on an amateur contract and he's perfectly with his rights to do that so now clubs signing people to pro contracts but i mean even following on from that josh i mean i was looking through it then you look at the language used off-field operations run by employed staff throughout 12 months of the year that doesn't say full-time either you know there's plenty of different type um, employed staff in the world that could be full-time staff it could be part-time staff casual staff freelance staff as long as you're employing them throughout the year that would ostensibly meet the guidelines as well. So I think that's going to be really... It's like a dodgy accountant show. Like, no, 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 it's okay. It says 12 months, but don't worry, my friend. I I thought you were laughing about Joe using the word staff like 12 times in a row. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> here we go thanks alan yeah. it just it's just like this thing of like ah look it says this but don't worry i mean and by the way that's very australian football yeah so it was about to say, say this don't worry my friend we can get around those rules so yeah. look, here's what i want to know is how many clubs do you think today would be in a position to you know express interest well, I mean, we can sort of go through at least the two majors. Like, well, I think it's this league is inevitably going to be heavily populated by Victorian and New South Wales teams. I think you know any anybody as, as thinking, is the country's population. Yeah, as is like as exactly anybody thinking otherwise, don't think that right now. We've seen the guidelines. If you want, you know, this NSD to be at a standard like that. 
you're going to have to accept that the clubs are going to have to come from Melbourne and Sydney predominantly with maybe a sprinkling, one or two from Queensland, one or two from South Australia. I'm going to, I'm just going to flat out guess that there won't be a WA team, at least in the launch of an NSD, just because the costs associated with it will be too much. But like here in Victoria, it should be pretty obvious. Like people, oh, you're just reintegrating the, the, the NSL. But these are the teams that fit the criteria. Your Melbourne Knights, your South Melbournes, your Heidelbergs, your Preston Lions, they are going to be standing up because the reason they were in the NSL in the first place was because they had decent infrastructures around them. They had good foundings within their community. They had decent supporter bases and they had decent sponsor networks. They're nowhere near what they once were, but there is that at least institutional history of having them. So that's well, going to be international one. connections. I mean, look at Melbourne Knights just bringing out, um, like yeah, Dalich. Dalich. you know, like yeah. that, that's pretty impressive, you, you know. And I mean, um, Brunswick Juve had actual Juve out here a few years ago because of those connections. So it's like that sort of stuff. New South Wales, um, I can't profess to be that much of an expert because I'm not up there in the shadow realm, but you know, I know Wollongong Wolves, um, RPR. Um, yeah, RPR Leichhardt, you'd say, I mean, you would have said uh, Sydney United previously, probably maybe I do, I think, an issue. Well, no, I, th- on, I, I think it's Sydney United. The sanctions brought in on Sydney United were designed by Football Australia surrounding behaviour change. If if Sydney United can demonstrate to Football Australia that there has been a level of work undertaken and behavioural change undertaken to satisfy them, they should be allowed to at least apply for the yeah, NSD. I think, I mean, they're one of the biggest talent factories in Australian football history. Like, yeah. it'd be silly to not least, um, to be honest, I'd have a little bit more worries about Sydney Olympic just because I've read the stories about their ownership and all of that sort of stuff. And I'm not sure what's going on there. Hey, but, look, if there's loose guidelines, the Greeks can get around it. Ben Smith says, in, uh, as far as I know, no Perth clubs expected to be in the inaugural NSD launch. Well, yeah, but uh, you're forgetting Broom, Broom FC up there in the northwest. That could be a team. Uh, yeah, Bunbury, somebody, tell, uh, Twi- Twiggy, somebody get in Twiggy Forests here and tell him that he could bring something to the west. But to be honest, that is that sort of does segue. What I'm going to be really interested to see is this: none of this language it heavily biases towards existing clubs with historical basis, but it doesn't rule out A-League's youth sides and it doesn't rule out new entities. So hypothetically, like I was just talking there about like the teams will likely come from Melbourne and Sydney. If there isn't a single Canberran side that capable of meeting the requirements, but a merger of some teams could Maybe that's the way that they get through. Or, as James Johnson has told me on the record in previous interviews, they've even had some inquiries about people wanting to set up brand new entities to take part in the national second division as well. So none of those um, can be ruled out. And I also, from what I understand, um, I asked Danny Townsend about it, the, the APL currently doesn't have a definitive policy about what would happen with their youth sides, whether or not, you know, if one youth side goes in, they all have to go in, which would be pretty hard in a 16 competition. That's basically a Y league. Um, and they should just set one of those up. But um, Danny Townsend speaking off the cuff, very much have to say that this isn't APL policy. He's more inclined to allow clubs to set their own 
to go their own way, sort of on that sort of thing. So, um, but that's not established policy on this, but that's his preference, I would say. I have a bit of a problem with the youth teams. Look, I don't think they have to like. I think we all do, but I'm just trying to lay the demon, like explain the lay of the land. Yeah. Uh, no, I, th- I think it's fair. Um, I-, I would have a couple of points about uh, just the conversation I've seen around this. And, yeah, it's just whatever you come across on Twitter and other places, you know, and conversations I have in person. But I, I see a lot of A-League fans kind of death-riding the competition already, saying there's no way they can meet this. You know, you know they're, they're, these clubs are uh, going to tank in a year. It's all going to be. As if I mean, they look- have any idea. Exactly. These people have any idea what's going on. Right? They're just like, ah, I saw an NPL game the other day. There was only 100 people there. But shut up. Yeah, look, I, I would say these clubs, they're member-led. So it's not as if there's just like one crazy chairman who's saying, oh, we should do this and pile money into this and it's going to all burn out in a year. Like the way NPL clubs generally work is that if you're a member of that club and you have a membership with voting rights, like a lot of these clubs will actually put the final decision to not only their board, but to their supporters as well. So, you know, there's, there's a greater, there's a broader like community responsibility there um, in order to, you know, say this is, you know, our club is financially viable enough to go for this and not jeopardize the future of the club. So I think there's, there's um, I guess they're, they're answerable to, to more people in that respect rather than sort of privately owned A-League teams. Um, I would also say that, as I made a point before that I don't think it's going to be fully professional from day one. If you think that that's just MPL on planes and that's not good enough for a national second division, we MPL already on have. planes is good. <laughs> I think MPL on planes is, is huge. I think having the best of the MPL play each other every week is massive. It's good. And, and if you don't think semi-freshional is good enough for a national comp, then maybe we should can the entire A-League women's as well because a lot of those players are semi-professional, if you didn't know. A lot of them are fully professional, but a lot of them aren't. A lot of them have day jobs. So, you know. So, I, I just saw a couple of questions uh, coming in. I saw like George uh, on Twitter. He was asking basically, um, does the NSD affect any kind of um, expansion in the A League? My understanding is the A League is still going to expand before promotion relegation comes in. There's rumors that it's going to be Canberra and I think Auckland are the two teams that's been reported or rumored or whatever. I think they'll get the, t- the, the competition up to 14 or 16 before they start bringing in pr- promotion relegation. I think they'll definitely expand. Another, there'll be another round of expansion at the very least, possibly two rounds of expansion. and then. But I, I don't think Pro-Rel is two years away. I reckon it's probably closer to it's a, six or eight. It, it's a ways away. It's, it's definitely a ways away. That is perhaps if one – like one thing I would love to see – so we go through this process, the EOI process, we get the team sorted out. I would love to see Football Australia actually come out, maybe not with a roadmap with hard times, so we'll introduce ProRel in five years, get ready, everybody. But I would like to see concrete, like, if X will do Y sort of things with the end goal being promotion relegation, because I think that's important. It gives clubs something to work towards and it sort of does provide you a time frame because if clubs in the NSD are sort of hitting these really quickly, you know Pro Rail's coming in sooner rather than later. And if they're not hitting it, you probably know it's not coming in for quite a while. But that just removes the oxygen surrounding, you know, when is Pro Rail coming in? Ra 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 or you can't have Pro Rail because it would be terrible. You can point to it and say, well yes, 
Well, you can point to it and say, well, no, ProRail will come in when all of this is achieved. And because all of this has to be achieved, ProRail won't be a disaster. Um, so that's one thing I'd really love to see at when this process is complete. And also on the expansion, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with expansion because technically competitions, access and all that sort of stuff, Football Australia is still the regulator on these sort of things. And Football Australia has to tick off um, on any expansion. It's normally, it's expected to be a rubber stamp, but in a hypothetical world that the APL try to bring in an Auckland team into the A-Leagues and Football Australia is attempting to, well, we know James Johnson wants to align the pyramid and align Australian football. What does Football Australia, how does Football Australia react to an Auckland's New Zealand-based team coming into the A-Leagues when they want to introduce Pro-Rel? I don't know. If they've got money, they'll let him in, basically. That's what I reckon they will go. Uh, Josh, the would say something really... on this? Yeah. I mean, can you can you relegate someone to like the New Zealand National League? Is it the Handy League? What is it called? <laughs> the mean, Handy Premiership? Yeah. What a humiliation! Um, I can't remember. Um, By the way, there's... all all uh, Kiwi teams will just forever finish ninth, so that's not something to worry about. <laughs> both of them will finish ninth. They'll both the same they'll time. equal ninth points, <laughs> goals, goals against ninth. We just we just carve out a spot just for the Kiwi. I mean, look, it might be something like the uh, Champions League where they. They can't be relegated, and that sucks. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, uh, there was one more thing I wanted to say on the youth team thing, um, which I, got, I distracted myself. Um, I see a lot the idea that, oh, there's a purists second division with all, like, existing current clubs in it, and then there's the realist second division with youth teams and expansion franchises and this, that, and the other. And I just don't think that's true at all. Uh, you know, you talk about youth teams – I mean, the A-League clubs are clearly strapped for cash already. Sending their youth team around the country every week hasn't been viable yet because the NYL doesn't exist anymore. Um, And also, it's a commercial drain on the rest of the competition because if the A-League team's playing, like, are the fans actually going to come out and watch the youth teams? Evidence from the NPL suggests no. I I would think, this, this is my hypothetical, I think in the event that there is a youth team in the national second division, it will only be the youth team of Melbourne City, Sydney FC, or Western Sydney Wanderers. They are the only ones I think that have simultaneously demonstrated a you know years-long commitment to their academy space in terms of facilities and investment, and would reliably be able to fund the costs associated with that, regardless of crowds and gate and sponsorships. And all of all that, they'd get extra, but obviously not to the same extent that um, a normal team would be. So that would be what I would think on that. But yeah, are we moving? Do I? I do have final comments on the NSD, or are we? But I'll say. Uh, can you do them in less. one minute, Joey? I can do them in less. I just want to say, I think this is great. Like, obviously, like the, the joke has been, you know, NSD will happen in current year plus two for ages. But like now we've actually got an EMI process starting. We've got a target March 2024. We've got a proposed league structure. We've got all this stuff that has never happened before. And it's being done in a manner that should make it sustainable. If it launches, you know proper um, due diligence has gone on into launching it. Footballing-wise, it's fantastic. 
you know, it's so many more opportunities. Like, I'm going to go a bit longer. We've been complaining about the lack of minutes for young players in the A-Leagues this year, about how they're backsliding. We've been complaining about your minutes. Yeah. <laughs> the, only, minutes. the only way you reliably fix youth minutes without taking too much control away from coaches, we already take too much away control away from coaches with salary caps and all this other stuff. The only way you fix this long-term is more teams, more opportunities, more roster spots that have to be filled. It's why the league's average age went down when expansion happened and Western United and MacArthur came in. And it's why the only sustainable way to increase youth minutes on a long-term. Yeah, yes, you can, you can try to institute behavioral change. Good luck with that. But it's expansion of the A-League men. It's expansion of the A-League women. And it's creating better opportunities for them to play. And a national second division is going to give so many more kids the opportunity to play. That's how you fix youth minutes. You just give them places to play. You don't tell coaches to play them. Yeah. And you don't believe Joey when he says you can do it in less than a minute. <laughs> I, I apologize. It popped up confidence. like about, I was on target and then it popped into my head and I was just oh, yeah, like, yeah. I have to go with it. We were on target for a 90 minute TNC and then something popped into Joey's head. <laughs> Put that on a bloody t-shirt. <laughs> uh, let's move on to some A-League chat. Melbourne City 6, MacArthur 1. Uh, do you hear that like faint ringing on the call? Because I don't, because the cowbells have stopped ringing entirely. <laughs> <laughs> I had you. I had you that time. I like it. I'm back, baby. I, like it. <laughs> I hate um, it. That was terrible. <laughs> oh, it was awful. But I just wanted yeah. to see if I can misdirect. Um, uh, Melbourne City are misdirecting the rest of the competition. They're currently oh. seven points clear at the top of the table with a game in hand on second place to Western Sydney Wanderers. Are they unstoppable? Can anyone catch them? In if the... I oh, got If they play like they did against MacArthur, like in any... if they play against like MacArthur, no team in the A-League is beating them. Melbourne well, City... No, no team in the A-League is beating them anyway because they've lost one game this season. Yeah. So okay. they've played shit and won. So the answer like is... City, like no I still think, I, I still think in, City is capable of beating themselves. Um, like I still think they're capable of dropping a stinker and maybe there's a few teams in the league that can take advantage of that. But City at 100% beats every other team in this league at 100%. Like, they're just too good. The thing I'd say as well is that they will win the league and as the, uh, you know, the maths president, that's, it's not fun to see City win another league, all right? City are, you know, they play some great football, they score some great goals, that's fun. But they don't, you know, they're just not a fun team. They're just a kind of machine that, you know, they haven't got enough supporters and therefore it is a little bit frustrating. But uh, what I will say is that when it comes to um, the, you know, the, the playoffs, the finals, the knockouts, I wouldn't be surprised if the Wanderers, you know, did them 1-0 or something like no, that. No, there, I... There's that in them. And then yeah. on top of that, I think, again, and this happens pretty much every time an A-League team is good. You look at them and say, well, great. Let's see what you do in Asia because you have better resources than pretty much everyone uh, you know, in Australia. You're a better run club than everyone in Australia. And let's just acknowledge do like it's coming through in, in Asia. It's, let's acknowledge briefly in the comments that it's coming through why they are this. It's because of the City Football Group. Like yeah. they're playing on easy mode. Like yeah, at the yeah. It's easier to have a consistent long-term system. It's easier to have amazing facilities when you're the Melbourne-based outpost of the City Football Group. Like, yeah. you can't ignore that. They should be doing say, this. On, on the goals themselves, 
They were some unbelievably good goals in this game. First of all, Matthew Leckie's assist for Jamie McLaren's opener, the kind of control and back heel as he was kind of like leaning towards you know goal. Um, Van de Ven, the way he brought up his hat trick with the way he put it like took took the touch, control, bounce, volleyed it into the top corner. Um, just some really really nice goals and actually. You know, it it was funny because, you know, we credit this thing, the Aliga belt, and I was hoping that it would change hands more. And I'm pretty worried there's not going to change hands for the rest of the season. Uh, Jordy Boyce has it. He's been doing, you know, fantastically uh, down the left side. But, yeah, some really, really nice goals. Uh, that one, too, that uh, Van Der Ven and Barisha played with each other as well, just to score that goal. Oof, that was some nice goals. So, you know, maths, fun goals, some fun players. But overall, we need someone to upset the city. We don't kind of Melbourne City have a dynasty. That would suck. It's it's uh, a bit funny. Melbourne City's current game plan, sort of like Van de Ven, the Dutchman, uh, playing on the left. Jordy Bosch, Dutch Heritage on the left. Their game plan is pretty much passed to the Dutchie on the left-hand side. Hey, there we go. There we go. You got there. <laughs> so I cut you off, Josh, but that joke came up. So no, that was like, worth it. Yes. That was worth it. I back it. I pay it. I think Vanderven was uh, taking some inspiration from the Australian Open with the volleys and things because like, he was actually sitting across the aisle from me at, at, at a doubles game, uh, taking it, and literally no one recognised him. And what a blessing to be an A-League foreign import! You could just cruise around Melbourne and no one knows who you are. Three um, tickets to the Open and no one yeah, recognises exactly. you. John Turner via YouTube says, uh, seriously underrated import. He's a machine. I mean, he's pretty underrated. Like he, he didn't come in with this huge, you know, nanny level you know, NRI, um, but he has been pretty good along with Val and Borussia as well. Yeah, he started the season injured, but once he's actually found form and he's gotten used to the system and he's gotten used to Australian football and he's gotten his, like he's got a his one-year-old kid and his four-year-old kid out here with him as well. And so off the field, you know, there was an adjustment and transition period as well, but he's a seriously good player um, at the moment. And he seems to be enjoying the system because I have a, like obviously the question was, during the World Cup break, was Kiss Norbo's exit going to lead to the downfall? And then they obviously lose their first game back and they've been getting some draws. I sort of think like maybe Kiss Norbo's exit might have been mutually beneficial to both sides at the moment because Kiss Norbo gets his gig in Europe. He gets he becomes the first Australian to coach in the top five league. And I feel like we're seeing a natural progression of this city team now. Like, And it's stretching back to Eric Mombats. So you had Mombats come in pick up the pieces after Warren Joyce, put in place the foundations of this system, put in place the standards, what they wanted to do, teaches Kiss Norbo. He moves on. Kiss Norbo builds upon that foundation and he adds steel. Like he comes in, we've made, you know, obviously we've taken issues with the passion approach, but there was also a meme that, that Melbourne City, they hearted it. They were weak. They were mentally fragile. They just give up. These days they'll run, they'll run, they'll run, they'll run, they'll keep running, they'll go hard. They um, will just beat teams down and grind teams down because they'll just keep doing good things for so long. But now Kis Norbo's gone and Rado has spoken about this numerous times about now how he's trying to make them more creative and he's empowering them and he's not telling them to stay in one place, do your role like, do your role. You just do this. You do that again and again and again. He's actually telling them, no, you're allowed to go over to the other side of the field and pick up the ball in certain situations. It's obviously not carte blanche, but he's allowing them to, all right, if you've got the ball here, yeah, you're, you're allowed to go on a run. You're allowed to back yourself. 
or you're allowed to try a back heel assist, which they got two of yesterday, or you're allowed to do that spin move. Like he's actually empowering them to go out and be creative and have fun. And I think that is another building block on why this city team is good. Like it's, if they, if they keep playing the way they did against MacArthur yesterday, why would you get rid of Rado? Like if they play like they did against MacArthur the rest of the season, why bring in somebody else if he's got them playing like that? Does it matter who coaches City now? Uh, but think... also, just quickly, the if is if they play against MacArthur because MacArthur was stinking. So they were they were terrible. They stink. And and this is a little quick. I wanted to point. I know Josh want to talk about uh, Melbourne yeah. City again, but just you know, apart from um, the goal that uh, MacArthur scored, which you know was a very kind of nice assist as well uh, for that. I think it was um, the young kid who uh, got it there, Ali Agula. Uh, had the assist um you know this is a bad look after you've just sacked Dwight York when you were doing all right you were you know mid-table but there was this whole thing oh York's gone da 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 and you know oh York had said you're a pub team and then you lose 6-1 like just doesn't not the best look for the club who don't have the greatest you know history or legitimacy I mean, I wonder what Dwight York would have said in the locker room after that performance. Like, I want to, I, I want to hear that tirade. <laughs> you just want to just go on. I told you, a pub, a pub team was was a nice thing to say. But I mean, I have heard that he wasn't necessarily saying they were a pub team because of their on-field performance, as much as yeah. other things around the club. It was interesting yesterday. Stojowski talked about he needed the side. He one of the things he was trying to accomplish was he needed the side to be better in possession and he needed them to be braver in possession about how they hadn't been that all season. Uh, they hadn't been that in preseason. And that's something that he needed to instill into them. Um, uh, bravery in possession. So take that what you will, you know, because MacArthur certainly didn't want the ball under Dwight York. Um, I guess how much what, of what happened? They were so good in the Oz cup. I know they played against some ordinary teams, but they were brave with the ball in the Oz Cup. Yeah. You know. Maybe it's easier to be brave when you're playing NPL opposition and nobody expect and everybody's telling you the Oz Cup doesn't matter. It it is easy to be brave in that situation. I think also it's easy to be brave initially. And then when you lose a couple of games and you feel a bit of pressure and you you know, you you're trying to play out from the back and you're trying to make risky passes and the, the fact of the matter is that A-League level players will make more mistakes than what Dwight York is probably used to seeing in the top European leagues. So if you take risks in the A-League and you say, okay, you know, let's let's play with risk, there will probably be more mistakes than you're used to. And you have to factor that in when building a team. I just remember them being kind of fun. They were. In the Oz Cup. They were kind of... Azani on one side, Al Hassan Torre on the other side. Bacchus was good in midfield. Yeah. You know, th- th- there's, there was something there, but it's it's falling apart. And, and by the way, uh, we should also say, uh, Uli Davir, he's one of the, the most fun players in the league. So mm. they have the ingredients, they have the squad, they have the cattle, as uh, people like to refer to in Australian football. But Well, they're the bulls. I'd hope they have the cattle. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's not worked out. Yeah, I mean, just on City, like I, I, they're kind of a plug and play team at this point, and I think that shows the benefit of having like a coherent football strategy for for many years under multiple coaches. And you compare that to the turmoil that the Wanderers went through, and yes, they're good this season, but they basically just given the keys to whoever was in charge. Yeah, 
whoever coach was in charge. And, and it meant they lurched from one style of football to the other. Whereas City of, I mean, it, 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 it's a little bit soulless, you know, it's, it's this production line, this kind of Terminator uh, that they've created. But it doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter who's in charge. They don't take a backward step because the style of football has been integrated under Bombarts and it's been a very linear progression um, since then. Um, and I had something else to say on City, but I've completely forgotten. So probably not worth uh, left lingering on. <laughs> no, let's let's keep it moving, baby. Let's keep it moving. Under ninety. Uh, second best team in the A League. Name them, because after Central Coast lost, they've dropped out a second spot. I think they were a little Can bit hard done by with some of the re- uh, the refereeing decisions. Well, who have you got as your number two seed, Joe? The second best team in the A League is is Central Coast Mariners attack with the Western Sydney Wanderers defence. <laughs> you couldn't have one with the other though, because this Wanderers defence is a direct result of yeah, the way they play football. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, I'll, I'm going to cheat and say who is the second most likely team to win the championship? Wanderers. <laughs> Wanderers. Yep. It's the Western Sydney Wanderers are the it's, second it, most likely team to win the, the championship. The question is. Who is when you meet them in the finals, the second team, the second team you'd least like to face? You'd least like to face Melbourne City, but then after that, you'd least like to face the Wanderers. Especially if they get a proper striker. Yeah, they're not the funnest team to watch. And you know, if Schneiderlin turns out to be good, and they have a you know Schneiderlin, Ninkovic, you know Neumhoff, Barello kind of midfield, there's someone there. There's you know that they could they could be a force, Um, but. You know, I, yeah, I think it's it's them. I think the Mariners maybe, you know, I don't know how much they're going to keep that up. And, and Adelaide's an interesting one, but I feel like Adelaide is still, in terms of at least their performance, a mm. step back. And I, and I feel like City, I feel like City, if they're looking at it, they'll go, well, we can take the Mariners, we can take Adelaide pretty comfortably. We should be able to take the Wanderers, but they're the ones who make it hardest for us. Like, uh, Alan Riley says Adelaide United when Allegich and Dorigo play in midfield. Well, you might not, be it's, a, a bit... it's not a bad shout from Alan there. <sighs> too much crossing. Still too much crossing yeah, for me it's from Adelaide. I'm, I'm still going to go into bat for Central Coast, I think. I think they were so unlucky against Sydney FC. Uh, they cause problems for teams. You can kind of see them going out of the finals in sort of heartbreaking fashion and, and not mm. making the decider. Um, there's just, you know, because they've got this young team, you know. Uh, but they're still so exciting and they press so well. And Dylan Wenzel Hall is coming into the mix. I think he's actually going to be good for the Mariners in a way that he wasn't like consistently effective for uh, Western United because his best football came in that spell when he was briefly playing up front with Scott McDonald for Brisbane yeah. Raw. And even he said it in his uh, presser when he signed for the Mariners, a yeah, little presser they did. Um, he said, I bet I play my best football off a focal nine. And so playing 4-4-2 is going to be absolutely perfect for Wenzel Halls and playing off Cummings. I think we're going to see a lot more yeah, from him. So it's a good, I think it's a good move for that reason. I, yeah, they're, they're still a little thin at the back. I mean, Caltech's been sent off a couple of times this season and Nick Montgomery doesn't seem to think either red card was, was justified. Um, certainly not this one. I, that was one of the worst decisions I think I've ever seen. I don't like to come out and bash referees all the time, but I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I don't get how it's a, a foul to start with because he gets the ball. If you don't think uh, he gets the ball and you think he gets Burgess, it's like it's not a clear goal scoring opportunity. It just doesn't make sense. 
you've got to protect your superstars. That's it. You yeah. know, someone <laughs> slides in on someone slides in on Messi. You need to go. No, my friend, that's not how he plays game. Red card. Someone tries to you know break LeBron. No, my friend, that's the guy who gets the crowd in. That's the guy who gets the teeth raised. No, my friend, that's a red card. Same thing happened with Caltech there. You know, hey Caltech, A League belt champion. You know, we got to respect him. But at the same time, Burgess, A League belt champion, got to respect that too. So. I think that's what happened there. Look, it wasn't it wasn't a good call. I agree with you. Like it, it shouldn't have been a red card. It was definitely a square up for for the Grant thing uh, earlier. But yeah, I I don't know. It was it was a fun game. Uh, that's for sure. It wasn't there wasn't a lot of defending. I tell you what's interesting though. Philip Rollo in the comments, uh, hot take. But Wellington have actually matched up well against City. Drew away and outshot them by heaps at home. Only Phil, if there's a while to have a day off. I watched them on Friday night. They're gonna have to. They're gonna have to get the taste of Friday night out of my mouth before I say that. You know what? They were all right for like fifteen, twenty at the start. Lots of teams can be there. good for fifteen yeah, or twenty minutes. That's true. You know what? And by the way, there's so many teams in like. That's also the thing with this A League is like teams are inconsistent game to game, but not only game to game within the game. Like, like you see, the Jets look like the best team. team in the world against Brisbane in the second half. Yeah. And that's the thing. You'll see fifteen minutes, or you'll be like, oh my. God, these guys are going to go on a run. And then you'll see that same team in the same game. And you'll be like, are you are you guys trying to be in the second division? Or like, what, what you want to stay in this one? Like, what is this? Like, it, it's crazy. So, Phil, I, I like I like what you're saying with Wellington because I think there, there's something there, but they're going to finish ninth. I think they're so good. I think they'll finish top four. I just don't think they're more likely to beat City in a one-off final, grand final than the Wanderers are. I, I think it's important with the Wanderers, like, the Wanderers are boring to watch most of the time, outside of the time when they came out and just decided to pants MacArthur. But it's, I think it's like, it's, that's not a, there's not a moralist connotation to that. It's not a case of exciting, good, boring, bad. There's not some sort of like moral, negative moral connotation with that. Like, they're winning football games. They're second on the table. They're the they were best. boring they're- when they were losing as well. At least, yeah. at least now they're not. Now they're winning games. There's nothing wrong with. There's nothing inherently moralistically wrong with what they're doing. Also, like, let's give them a few games away from this 3 p.m. kickoff that they had today. Like yeah. honestly, you, you, man, Xavi and Iniesta Busquets are not going to put on a, a clinic for you in that heat. All right. Yeah. Like so. Like we've consistently rated Rudan on this podcast, and like he's pretty much doing exactly what we said he would. He's come in and he's winning football games for them. And he's what, not allowing them to be beaten. Today was only their second win since the Sydney Derby. And they're again, inconsistent. Like it's an inconsistent mm. team. Like, and I was even surprised when I look back at the stats. They've drawn a lot of games, and and I think Rudes is. I think Rudes might be the best game manager coach. Like in terms of his substitutions, his tactics in games, the way he changes systems, the way he just. He might be the best in game. You know, not in terms of maybe over the course of the season and there are much more kind of issues with that, but the way he manages games, I think is very good, which puts him in good stead for finals. Great finals. Yeah. He's the he's the Mourinho of the A-League, really. Or the Simeone. Yeah. That's, I mean, he, he he's the bad guy. His team are the bad guys. We saw that in All Access. I don't know if you guys watched it yet, but oh, Marcel, uh, my, Marcelo yeah. was having a good go at Jason Cummings. Uh, but your ribs. <laughs> Rib, ribs in he did he had an injury and he was having injections for it and stuff and Marcelo as soon as he saw that Cummings was going to come on in the second half he tells him in the tunnel I'm going to smash you in the ribs <laughs> and he does like several yeah. times after Cummings Brazil, comes on, just... 
Dark Brazil produces two types of players. I mean, they produce a lot, but there's two ones they produce every single day, a hundred of them. Vinicius and Neymar, the dribblers, the amazing skillful players, the players that I love, and the Pepe and, you know, the the Marcelos and the Gabriel Paulista. I don't know if you saw his tackle on Vinicius this week for Valencia. This guy, this was the most like NPL, you know, div three tackle where he's just like, if you dribble me again, I will smash you. And Vinicius went, okay, mate, I'm going to dribble you again. Boom. Paulista just assaulted him. Like it's ridiculous. So that's what these type of players are. I mean, we thought Marcelo was this happy-go-lucky guy laughing at his own farts, having a good time (laughs) in the dressing room, but it turns out he's a hard man. He's a monster. He's a villain. <laughs> He's a villain. But and hey, it, the it's league... perfectly what Wanderers are doing. They are the, the, the villains of the league at the moment. And, yeah. you know, it could work for them in, in knockout finals. Just on Wellington, I mean, when's the last time they had like a statement win at Amy Park? They mm-hmm. they dropped, they, they, they shit the bed at Amy Park every single roll year. Up, multiple roll times. Up, get in the chat. Season. Get in, in the, the chat, chat. Roller. I know you remember when the last good one was. But, um, but then again. Grand final in Sydney this season, you know. <laughs> right, they, <laughs> Maybe they that won't happen. Well Go to Amy Park. Park. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, that that actually, be... that actually, oh, the grand final, I was actually thinking that might actually really play into the A-League Women's Grand Final because Sydney FC are still good outside of New South Wales, but they're a different beast in Sydney at home. And now there's a circumstance that they'll have, like the top four is basically set in that league. They're going to have a home grand final if they make it, regardless of where they finish on the table. Phil Rollo says 17 matches ago. Is that their last win at Amy Park? Is that just 17 matches at Amy Park? Yeah. Haven't won at Amy Park in 17 games. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that was like a really off-the-cuff observation for me. But, of course, Rollo's got the stat and... That was That's from Rollo. Rollo, mate. Rollo... You know what Rollo's like? He's like one of those players who come from New Zealand who you wish was playing for the Socceroos. <laughs> Rollo's like one of those journalists who I wish actually was in Australian football, not Kiwi football. <laughs> like I think, he, I think he's like Sarpreet Singh. You're like, oh, I wish he was. Oh, we've got more stats from more New Zealand journals and more stats in the comments. <laughs> All right. Phoenix have played 33 times at Amy Park and won three. That's from Andrew Vorman. Uh, that's a hell of a record. 33 times at Amy Park and won three. Who were the three teams that lost to them? You losers. Like, maybe maybe that's why maybe that's why I accidentally caught oh. Ufuk Tale having a furtive cigarette behind the bins at Amy Park last time I was working. <laughs> and he was stressed before the game, you know. You know, you know what it might be? It might be um when they beat uh Brexit uh, victory. They might have been that thing. Or that Joyce Ball. No, nah, Joyce Ball, they, they they got annoyingly results. That was the annoying thing about mm. Joyce. I don't even Rollo know what, is, where to start with that, Alan. Rollo is the Yelichich of soccer journals. Underrated, Tug of war. perhaps? Tug of war. Uh, to- Toro says Phil is the New Zealand uh, Rugari. And I like that we're still refusing to spell Rugari's name properly. There we go. Uh, yeah, w- w- one was hot. One was hot. Yeah. Andrew, Andrew <laughs> says one was hot. So, so there you go. Anyway, I think we need to move on. I, how good is it we can just crowdsource all of the hard work on this show to the comments? <laughs> we don't prepare. I just have like a random thought that occurs to me. It's yeah. like, they're not very good at Amy Park. Then did we just get uh, the listeners to this show? We're Absolutely like a bad. psycho presenter in a newsroom. Researcher, come here. <laughs> I have a thought. <laughs> Slightly scarred incredible. Nick Stoll from newsrooms there coming through. 
just you just you just make it up. You just go. Ah, I think they haven't won in the last ten. Just say that. All right. Well, victory were the team that knocked off Wellington at Amy Park. So as we've established, it means absolutely nothing. Um, but Joey, have victory turned a corner with this result because Tommy Urich scored a goal. This is not a drill. Tommy Urich, his first goal from open play since I think he was playing. For Adelaide. Um, and by the way, as play gets, that was as open as possible. <laughs> just route one. It doesn't, route get, one. it doesn't get more open than that goal. Yeah, the ah. Knicks just trying to get forward and then just losing all cohesion at the other ends. Um, no, they're not back. Um, they're not back. I mean, they're not back whatsoever. They're still bottom of the league. Uh, they're still adrift, but... They're not dead. Like, I know you put up a poll, Josh, about whether it was time to just play the kid, give up on the season and play the kids or go for finals. Sure, playing the kids might be viable, but just the goddamn incessant parody of this league, um, this morbid parody means that they're only, they've only won one, well, now they've won two games less than the Western Sydney Wanderers. Like, they're still only a couple of games outside the six. They go on a run of three or four or five unbeaten in a row. All of a sudden, they're in a mix for the home fi- a home final. Like, just so they're not dead either. They're not back, but they're not dead. They're, they're, they're not in a coma. They're in a coma. They're not dead, but they're not alive. Um, they're the guy on the cart in the Holy Grail saying he's being carted away with play victims yeah. and he's saying, I'm not dead yet. You know, I mean, yeah. just on that poll, I ran very unscientific, just my Twitter followers about 200 votes, 70% said pack it in, play the youth. That may have also included some. I didn't verify that everyone who voted in that yeah. poll was a Melbourne Victory fan, so that might have included some spiteful other supporters saying, Yeah, done, mate. But you know, this. This league is, uh, as we've covered, rewarding of mediocrity. And if Melbourne Victory can scrape into the finals, that might be, you know, like I think this Melbourne Victory team would come third in a mediocrity contest. And, uh, you know, they might come sixth in the mediocrity contest that is the A-League. Look, can I just give them a little bit of uh, praise uh, for the game? uh, Ben Smith and Mr. Motor Fraud in the comments, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought actually that was one of their best games of the season. And I, you know, as well, Brimmer, who hasn't been having a good season, I thought he did well. That free kick was, was fantastic. Um, uh, you know, I, just... I think after the last 20 minutes, sorry, after the first 20 minutes, where I think, you know, the Wellington was opening them up. And I actually thought, like, geez, Wellington are going to smack them here. Um, you know, they came good and and and, and they wrestled more control and they created plenty of chances and Fornaroli missed a couple that he really should have put away. So they really could have, could have done a lot better. And yeah, there's signs of life in this, you know, a comatosed body. Um, and, and, I, and I think, I don't think Popovich is the type of person who's going to give up and play the oh, kids. So Popovich. I think they, yeah, I think maybe he'd give up and play his own kids, but that's something else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> They're so, still in Croatia. That's not a yeah. that can't happen. They're still in Croatia. <laughs> so I look. But you're right, Jake. There's no better set piece taker in the league than Jake Brimmer at the moment. Like I think he's better than Goodwin at set pieces, just on pure set pieces alone. Whoa. So you know nothing what? else. This is why we need an A League All Star weekend to see who the supreme <laughs> skills challenge. Goodwin, Goodwin versus Brimmer. Oh, 
What about Armiento? We should say this. He nearly scored two Olympico goals, all right? One was a flick-on from his teammate, and the other one was an own goal from Gauchi, but then it got pulled back because of VAR and da-da-da. Let me tell you something. Here's a new rule in football, the Math Society, Make Australian Football Fun. If you score for an Olympico, I don't care if you elbow the keeper, all right? It's a goal. Too bad. Protect yourself, all right? It's straight from a corner, Olympico. That's it's like boxing rules. Protect yourself at all times. Yeah. And by the way, if he'd scored, and by the way, the guy who did a little flick to get it in, you don't, it doesn't count for you, my friend. That's an Olympico as well. All right. So, Amienta, I give you two Olympico goals. <laughs> that, that's the they, they've got panel if ever I heard of one. So, obviously, there's also going to be at victory, there's going to be some reshuffling. Matt Spiranovich has retired. Um, briefly, we should just pause to acknowledge hell of a career from Matt Spiranovich. I mean, Honestly, and it's a career, it's a hell of a career, and it could have been a lot bigger career if his body had actually cooperated. Like, very yeah. talented, very talented football player whose body just continuously let him down. It's a shame. Uh, Asian... He could have been like Australia's one of maybe best ever centre back. Like, yeah, he was like, on that trajectory. But he's played World Cups, he's won an Asian Cup. So, congratulations to Spirit on his career. Supposedly, bring in uh, French defender Damien De Silva. Played twice for France's under-19s way back. He's 35 now. I can't say I'd profess to know anything about him. I do know that when Olympic uh, Lyon announced his departure, there were Lyon fans in the comments posting celebratory gifts, um, <laughs> which I, it doesn't bode well. But then again, league a slightly different um, prospect than uh, the A-League men and Victory has had some success with French centre-backs in the past. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. I'm inclined to think they add at least one more body before the window closes. Um, uh, and that will likely come in the final third. They've brought in Bruce when Canal. When the window close? Uh, midnight on Feb... So 11.59, February 7th. Oh, deadline day. It's tuned for TNC's coverage. We'll have a TNC reporter outside every ground... Get your dildos out to be in the background. <laughs> I did not knows, think that was. That is a Sky Sports reference. Uh, there was, there was a, they used to always put people outside the ground and, and fans would congregate behind them. And then one day, I can't remember which ground it was. It was Everton. Everton. It was good oh, good on you, Liverpoolians. Some reporter standing there trying to give his piece to camera and someone trying to hit him with a dildo. There's nothing funny. They tried enough. to stick it in his ear. Oh, it was invasive. Look, yeah, look, you shouldn't do that, but at the same time, you kind of should. It's funny. Like this is, this is the, this is the, you know, the paradox in which we live in life. There are things you shouldn't do because you should respect everyone, but at the same time, there are things that are funny and that just has to be done. And if that guy stood out there in public, he could have saved us. So now I think they put him away from where the fans can get him. But do you remember the, the Squires cartoon about that with the guy yeah. like studying from young yeah. age, coming up through journalism <laughs> school, making his inroads in the league, and then his career culminates with a purple dildo in here? Oh. Oh. One of the one of the best. Best Squires efforts of all time, I reckon. Yeah. Uh, Lazar Eleven says, need Jimmy Bullard out here to do You Know the Drill for the free kick competition on All-Star Weekend. I reckon we need an Australian footballer who's like a set-piece specialist, like a retired football, maybe like an Eddie Bosnar or something. Like Someone who used to do <laughs> incredible free kick. Every free kick. Yeah. Um, why, why am I blanking? Why am I, why am I blanking? Con Butzianis. Oh, yes. He's a bit old. Well, he could still yeah. kick a football. 
Um, oh, he still he just still does like coaching and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to get I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Josh. Obviously, you know a lot more Melbourne Victory fans than I do. Had some involvement with for fuck's sake. Grew up a you were a Victory fan as a kid. I'm not sure if you still are. Triple yeah, seven partners. Triple yeah, yeah. seven partners. The motion at the AGM was approved, paving the way for Triple Seven to take on majority ownership of the club. It won't, it doesn't have to all be at once. They can do it in installments. They can, it's basically over the next five years, they can do it all at once. They probably won't. They'll likely do it piece by piece. But Josh, what's your thoughts on the Melbourne victory for the first time being owned by non Australians, being owned by Triple Seven Partners? I mean, how much does it really change? Your it doesn't change anything. <laughs> You know, do they do they have any good midfielders who work in their office that you can put <laughs> in there? For well, victory? supposedly they offer a worldwide scouting network. Well, everyone, mm. man, worldwide scouting network now is a YouTube, a Y Scout, and a couple of dudes on Twitter who are probably fourteen years old. Yeah, right? you know, you just play FM twenty three and type the bloke's yeah. name in. That's a worldwide scouting <laughs> network. Worldwide scouting yeah. network, Jesus. Yeah, I Damien mean, De Silva, the player that everyone's celebrating getting rid of, with, uh, Leon. <laughs> Look, I, I get nervous about any kind of investment firm or hedge fund or whatever buying into Australian football. I get nervous about the Silver Lake thing too because they're just there to make money and it's not easy to make money in Australian football. People have been trying to do it for years and most of them ended up broke. So I feel like if you're trying to make money, this is the wrong country and the wrong business to be getting into. There is much easier ways to invest. Uh, so... You know, that it kind of makes me nervous that it comes from that kind of financial background. But I mean, we we're talking before about how MPL clubs are, are different. You know, they're member led. You know, you've got voting rights. You don't have that at Victory. And they tried to do like a f- sort of fan ownership thing with uh, Richard Wilson shares. It's pretty low take up of that um, on the whole. So the fans don't seem too interested in owning a piece of that a piece of the club. So you're going to have kind of capitalist entities swanning in whether they're australian or not doesn't make a huge amount of difference to me it's the decisions they make and whether it's informed by the fact that they're coming from outside and have no kind of emotional attachment or what have you yeah i'm inclined to agree like the nature of the a-league's ownership model it's private model it's closed model means that like this isn't this isn't that big of a deal like it's just the fact that they're Miami based private equity, it's passing from the hands of one private entity to another, basically, sort of thing. So, yeah, I know that that's the nature of the A Leagues. It's the wonderful world of the A Leagues. But we should also, and I think we should get to it. Um, Patrick Malone left us a comment. Thoughts on the Herald Sun article today, naming those who entered the pitch at the Melbourne Derby. Do you think their identity should be a secret or do the Herald Sun have the right to name them? Well, regardless of whether we like it or not, the Herald Sun do have a right to name them. Yeah, they've been charged. Yeah, they've been charged. One of the journos that had a byline on that was the Herald Sun's court reporter. Like, they have a right to name them. Now, personally, I wouldn't have named them. I didn't try to find out any of these people's identities. I didn't think that would be... Or me working as a sports journal. I didn't think that would be constructive. I didn't think that would add any news value to anything that I was doing. Um, I thought my time could be spent better elsewhere. But they have... So I wouldn't have done it. But 
and I probably wouldn't have, if I was working as an editor, I probably wouldn't have commissioned it, but they have the right to do it. Their editors, yeah. they obviously thought there was news value. The Like, yeah, I wouldn't have done it, but the easiest way to not do that is to not get charged. Yeah. Is to not invite the pitch in the first place. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. kind of like, look, you know, don't do something and then get annoyed at the consequences of those things. All right. You know, when you do crazy shit like that, crazy shit's going to happen back to you. So I don't know. It's not great, but like, it's not, it's not, I don't, I'm not a fan what of do you it think, at all. Yeah. Do you think the Herald Sun was going to protect you? Like, come on, man. Like, yeah. I don't know. Just maybe, yeah. Look, honestly, the biggest disappointment was that I found out Bucketman had a Greek surname. And, you know, that was a, that was a big L for our tribe. So that's why I think they shouldn't uh, name him because now we have to find out, ah, it was one of us. Oh, man, come on. Like, so, if, 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 like, this is the start of a campaign pointing all Melbourne Victory fans as hooligans or something like that, I would absolutely hope. I don't think it is. I'm just using this as an example. I would hope the club comes out and pushes back on that. But, like, even like with their case like this, I'm not sure what Victory can do. Victory can Victory would probably come out and say the majority of our fans aren't like this. The vast, vast majority of our fans aren't like this. But they're, they'd be in the same position. What are they going to do? Ask the Herald Sun to take it down? Herald Sun will tell them to get stuffed because they haven't broken any laws and it's all legal. It's sort of like, well, what do we expect? Honestly, I think the mainstream coverage of the pitch invasion has been pretty kind, you know? Yeah. Compared to what we've seen in the past. Exactly. Um, and it's the sad reality of that is that I don't think from the kind of AFL-dominated media down here, they don't view it as, as much of a threat as they used to. Yeah, 100%. It's just not doesn't really rate. So, I mean, the Herald Sun is going to do this kind of thing because that's like, you know, that's what their the readers Sun, are interested in. Look, with all the respect, crap newspaper, you know, don't read it, you know, sorry, with all the respect, but they have agendas and they relentlessly pursue those agendas, whether it's the agenda of, you know, Foxtel and, and the Fox corporation, which they're owned by and news corp and da, 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 and they'll smash anything that they don't own or run or have money in and anything they do have money in like the NRL, uh, they'll say is the greatest thing ever. So, you know, let's relax on, let's just not expect great things from the Herald Sun. And, and let's not be surprised and, when they do things that, you know, we wouldn't do or whatever. And you, you can mount a case that this has news value, and that's obviously what they've done. And Joseph and sums it up pretty well in the comments. Bit hard to cry for anonymity when you invade a pitch in front of 20,000 people at a nationally televised event. You know. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's sort of well, 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 the consequences of your own actions. Yeah, exactly. Like... Sorry, bro. Like, what do you want? <laughs> exactly. Uh, we haven't talked about the Matildas squad coming out. Uh, which is for the Cup of Nations that's coming up. Starts uh, next week. We're in we're in tournament mode now. We're not in preparation mode. We're in performance mode. We're in oh. tournament mode. Um, and as um, Tony G has said at various press events around this, the squad is going to be pretty much the same, plus or minus a couple of players around the edges. This is this is our lot. This is basically the horse that we rode in on. Um, do we think? The Matilda should be spreading the net wider. Are the old favourites kind of been back in the team? The one big one, uh, one big in is, I believe, Claire Hunt. Um, She's a debutante, never been named before. Yes, and apparently they've been looking at her for a while, but she had a shoulder problem before, uh, so they couldn't call up before. And Gielnik's back, Yallop's back, Mackenzie Arnold's back. Yeah. 
So this is kind of the usual suspects. Do they only have so many players' numbers or emails? Like, you know, it's like, oh, look, I wish I could have texted you, but I just didn't have your numbers. Sorry. So we just we just called up who was uh, our last contacted. We just went by last contacted. Yep, cool. All right, put you in. Like, like you have to also you have to approach this. You know, like the, the idea multiple things can be true at once. Was I surprised that this is a squad? No. This is going to be the squad. They've been preaching consistency. This is the side that has obviously been settled on by Tony Gustafsson and the other coaches there um, as a forming, basically, it's just flittering around the edges now um, to figure out who is going to fill those final spaces. Because you bear in mind, you don't get an extended squad at this World Cup like you did the Men's World Cup. We're back to the normal levels now. So... You don't get those extra spaces to play with, like prob- that probably allowed somebody like a Garen Kual to go to the World Cup. You don't get that, so there's going to be a few more broken hearts. I think for me, like the squad, I'm not. Larissa Crummer continues to have a stranglehold on it based upon form, not seeing it. Um, obviously, she didn't go over to Europe during the off season as well. Played in NPL Queensland, hasn't been setting the world on fire for Brisbane Roar in the A League Women's. Um, so that's questionable. Which position am- are they going to play her in as well? Is she going to be a fullback? Is she going to be a She's striker? listed as a forward. If she's playing as a fullback, I can name a number of other options that would be better. Um, but yeah, I think Claire Hunt's worth a shot. Um, she's one of the best defenders in the A-League women's this season. You should recognize that. Cat attack. Um, uh, so you should recognize um, that possibly a few more defenders that you could have recognized. Um, for me, though, this is going to be the squad. I am really more intrigued than anything else to see, especially like who drops out of this midfield when it comes actual time for the World Cup itself. Because you've got a few players out there. Like The big one that I'm thinking about is Chloe Legazzo. Chloe Legazzo, she's not in this squad. She's barely playing for Western United in the A-League women's. She's dealing with a foot injury um, as she tries to come back from an ACL. Is Is there going to be space in this team for Legazzo, given that you've also got... Katrina Gorey is back. Katrina Gorey wasn't in the Asian Cup squad. Uh, Alex Shidiak wasn't in the Asian Cup squad. So they're coming back and they're ostensibly, you'd think, locks for the World Cup squad. All of a sudden, these available places in that midfield at the World Cup squad, they're running out. Um, And if you're not getting regular match minutes, she's been fantastic when she's played in the brief snippets. But what happens to somebody like Chloe Legazzo when it comes time to the World Cup and you're trying to make these last-minute chances, last-minute decisions. I'm really intrigued to see that. That midfield area is so chockers. Like, I... Yeah. From anything other than kind of established hierarchy and sentimental reasons, I don't see why she should be in the mix currently, unless she does something pretty spectacular between now and... She's got the ability to get back in the mix, but yeah, right now, like, if you were naming your squad right now, she wouldn't be in it. No, and it's just because that, that area of the park is, like, crazy competitive. And there's yeah. so many, there's so many good options. So, yeah, she's not, she's, she's not in my my twenty three. Yeah, because like Kellen Knight hasn't had the highs that Lagazzo has had this A League Women's season, but she's got a lot more minutes. 
mm. um, in her return from an injury. And oh, guess what? Look, uh, Kellen Knight can play left back as well. Yet another left back converted left back for this team. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's the Swiss be... Army knife in terms of the positions that she offers. Like yeah, in tournament, and... in when you're in tournament mode, she, it's a pretty attractive player I to mean, have in the mix. They they brought her to the Olympics when she was never going to play. So like that tells you the esteem that Kellen Knight is held in in this team. I mean. Yeah, I've been having these discussions with a few people. Um, I look at this Matilda's team, and this sounds super harsh on the bloke, given he's the long-standing his, his long-standing contributions to Australian football. I don't see a Trent Sainsbury in this team. Like, I don't see someone who the coaching staff is going to make the big call on and leave out because of match minutes or form and bring in somebody like that. Like, there's no, I, I, I can't see this team getting ruthless, ruthless aggression. I just can't see it happening in the deciding moments. And will that be a good thing or a bad thing? Will it uh, generate too much comfort uh, in this team so they're not fighting and scratching and clawing like we saw so many Socceroos doing before the World Cup? Will cons- Is consistency more important than that? I don't know. But I think that's a really interesting comparison between the two of Australia's national sides heading into a World Cup. All right, I think we'll leave the Matildas there until after some of these games get played. Uh, Harry Sutar is in the Premier League. We finally got an Australian to root for, even if you know we might have filled the birth certificate a bit there. We might have he might have a Scottish accent. He's Aussie in our hearts. He was outstanding at the World Cup, and he's been rewarded with a big money move from Stoke City to Leicester City. Uh, this is one of the biggest transfers in Australian football history. The biggest, if you don't count the uh, inflation difference, if you do take into account, no, it inflation, still is. It, it 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 even still is even taking into account inflation, oh, just wow. not football inflation, right? Okay. So like, there's no way Harry Kill doesn't go for Squillions this time around or Dukes, but yeah, all right, yeah. fair. Good. What about didn't Bresciano go for like twenty three million or something at one stage to Palmer? Look, comments, check, do the comment research. Yeah. Phil Rollo, if you're listening. <laughs> Let us know. What did Bresciano? I thought Bresciano uh, was one of the biggest transfers ever. But, anyway. but yes, Brendan Rogers was singing his praises in the announcement press conference. And uh, then he started Suta, first game, straight into the first 11 against Aston Villa and scores an own goal. So mm. not the yeah. worst debut we've seen from an Australian player in the UK. I think that still belongs to Michael Theo. But it's not the worst there. debut we've seen from an Australian outfielder in a big five European league. Mm. Who? No. <laughs> yeah, no. Just, just have a think about that one. Um, Stoll, I mean, it's it's fun to have an Aussie in the prime. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's you know it's good for Harry Suter. Uh, it's good for his development to step up that level. It's going to be very interesting to see how he's deployed. Um, at Leicester and how they kind of play. And we, we've seen him with Socceroos and kind of with the Socceroos, I guess when we're playing really good opposition, he sits, you know, deep and clears out a lot of crosses and gets his body in the way of a lot of shots. And when we play against, you know, small Asian opposition, he goes up for crosses and heads in set pieces. So it'll be interesting to see what it looks like uh, in the Premier League and, and how he develops. But it is just an exciting thing. You know, it's good to see that some of our Socceroos have gotten moves after the World Cup have, have increased their stock or, you know, maybe even just the fact that they've gotten more opportunities at, at their clubs. Um, it's good because there is a real lack of top-level players, and we've been saying that for a while. And I, I keep kind of looking at Japan, who 15 years ago 
we were kind of on par with Japan for how many players that we had in, you know, the top leagues of Europe and how many players they had in the top leagues of Europe. And they, of course, have their famous 50-year plan and there are many things that go into that 50-year plan. And the result of that is they have players like Matoma at Brighton, who's having an unbelievable season. And they have, you know, players at Celtic and players at Frankfurt and players, you know, uh, Kubo uh, at Real Sociedad has been fantastic. So Japan... Lots and lots of players at that top level. We have less and less. In fact, you know, Suta was not developed in Australia. He was, you know, a Scottish player. So there is a little thing there that I just look at and I think, okay, well, we, you know, we're pretty busy in Australian football at the moment. There's a lot going on. There's Women's World Cup. There's, you know, Socceroos. There's National Second Division. But we need to make sure that we keep our eye on this. Yeah, and, I mean, I think the own goal doesn't live long in the memories of Leicester fans because they came back and won the game. Yeah. So that's super good news for Harry Suta. If that was the deciding goal, he'd be in the bad books already saying, oh, he's a waste of money. You got to drop him. No one remembers. No one remembers the penalty that someone misses in a shootout. As long as the team goes on to win that shootout. All right, everyone forgets. Who, who, who missed, missed for the Socceroos? Against, it was a Boyle that missed for the Socceroos against Peru. See, I can't even remember. <laughs> it was Viduka who missed for the Socceroos against yeah. Uruguay. Dragged it left. That. I do remember that. But yeah, the, no, one, no one. So, yeah. So, and Simon Hill won. starts rattling off the guys that have missed big penalties. It happens to all the greats. You know? <laughs> Immediately defends him. Right? <laughs> Immediately brings Happened. up Baggio. And all well, it does, uh, it, and it, was, it does happen. Right it does to do happen. It. To- it does happen to the greats. I mean, I Harry t- Kane. I tell, you, I tell you what doesn't <laughs> I tell you what doesn't happen to the greats. Gentlemen, we have an opportunity to finish this off under 90. We could still got 70 seconds to play with. What do you guys want to do? Oh, I mean, I reckon we just sit here in 70 seconds of blissful silence knowing that oh, we can't do successful that. espresso. <laughs> Comment. Get in the chat. Let us know. You got to get a quick. <laughs> All right, you've got one minute. Answer. Do we do we kill the question and answer segment to get, finish on the ninety? Or yeah, 100%. 100%. I've been looking through our Twitter questions. We basically covered everything. We, yeah. ba- we haven't covered everything, everything, but all the big ones. Ooh, we ticked them off on the. Did journey. we miss anything on the running sheet? Uh, if no. we did, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. It's it's it. ancient history right. now. Yeah, TNC. Tune in next new... week. Yeah, you think football's edition? Yeah, you think the problems of Australian football aren't going to be here in in next week? They're going to be here. We'll talk about them next week. Don't worry, my friends. It's all good. I mean, this is uh, this is Jordy Boss is going to have said. the belt into perpetuity. Ben Smith, we've established that. Yeah, Jordy Boss <laughs> does have the belt. All right, look, I think uh, we need to wrap this no, up. No, the drinks break. The heat. We did the heat at the start of the show. We did the heat. Thanks, right, success, go. people. Thanks, Thanks success. success. Thanks.